for everyone who comes to these uh, podcasts for the just theology side, this will be less of that. Yeah, so I'm starting into a new fall semester, but just in the second week. So we're early on all the classes. Um, but just by way of an update, I'm taking a preaching class this fall and another inductive Bible study class. This one is uh, centered around the Gospel of John. And both of those have been really good so far, just in two weeks. Um, but I thought today we could catch up um, on some previous stuff, just some updates from our summers and early fall. Um, you may have noticed the episodes have been releasing a bit slower lately, and that's because all of us have been quite busy, uh, but with a lot of good stuff. So I thought maybe just take a short episode to give some updates and talk about life and catch up on what's been going on. So that's the plan. Great. Stay tuned for some good preaching and Gospel of John content coming up in the future. So at this point, how many semesters have you completed? Let's see. I, I'm in my fourth, starting fourth, not counting summers. Yeah. And about how many classes have you had per semester? Um, just two. And then I've done classes in the summers and uh, some like one credit hour things as well. So I have seven. Okay, so we've done about 16 episodes, 17 mm -hmm. episodes. Yeah, we've done 17. This is Two, 18. though, had really nothing to do with your classes, the holidays. Right. So that's about 14 episodes related to your classes. So, And then sometimes we've done two-parters. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we haven't, we haven't had to miss out on... What class anything. did you have this summer? So this summer I just did mentored ministry. Right, so that kind of class is not... This is quite the same as far as giving uh, like structured content. Right. So I'll, that's what I'll talk a little bit about um, today. I also now am living in a kind of semester-focused schedule because of my two jobs, both being connected with schools. Um, I'm doing the curriculum job, and all of our clients are schools and, and training centers and stuff. They go by a school schedule, and then I'm... Uh, teaching an English class as well. So, yeah, so I'm back in a semester kind of mindset. Ooh, power just came back on. All right. <laughs> yeah. So with your curriculum, you're, what are you doing for that? I am training teachers how to use it. Okay, it's a English as second language curriculum geared towards younger kids. Um, for that reason, it's not like follow the book. It's here's a set of materials and like songs and act and activities and poems and stuff. And um, it kind of takes correct application in order to really get a lot of benefit from it. It has a pretty specific design. So the teachers will need help um, getting it to work. And then on top of that, I'm finding out the, when I taught this in Japan, the kindergarten I worked for gave us a lot of training, two or three months of training before we were set loose with our own class. But around here, I'm finding often people are hired and starting like the next week or they come to our two day long training and that's pretty much all they get. So in terms of actually memorizing the melodies of the songs or things like that, they don't really get proper time for all those things. So because of the quality of the training we got at the place where I was, uh, I'm able to have tips for people on using the material well and also on 
keep maintaining order in a class of kids a little bit. So I travel to different schools, observe the teachers, and then meet with them after and give, give advice and then write reports on their class. That's mostly what I do with them. And then also still teaching my class. And I was just teaching one class and the other English classes at our school were handled by another lady who was a very long time English teacher. But she has left the country and um, we were trying to hire an English teacher and I was debating like whether to keep my class or not. But I was like, I think I do want to. I like having the connection with our church kids here because my other job takes me has really almost nothing to do with our church. So it really removes me from the ministry that we're part of. Mm -hmm. But I was debating whether we have time and all this. But because of some visa type circumstances, we couldn't get another teacher. So now the three English Mm -hmm. classes are me, my wife and her brother, each taking one. And then Yejin also has her other like her regular church finances job. And then she's teaching one class per day. And then between the two of us, we're kind of trying to be like the vice principal of the school. And then we still have the baby. So every day the baby, we either are like passing her back and forth, like baton style, or on days when I have to go out and visit schools and can't get back, um, then she'll go stay with grandma or auntie or somebody like that. Luckily, there's family members around. But it makes it we've we have felt really like constantly on the move and kind of like this is unsustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then today was the second Saturday in a row of I'm taking my class to swimming lessons on Saturday mornings now, which is fun, but it's just another thing, you know. Yeah, um, we've hit on in previous episodes the uh, swimming situation in Mongolia a little bit, but uh, it's not common for people to learn to swim because there's like no bodies of water. Yeah, there's some lakes here and there, but in this city, like, yeah, there are many people who can't swim. seems like most people can't swim. But you're well qualified as a swimming instructor. That's right. As we learned before. They're progressing fine. Anyways, so it's fun, but, like, we really don't want it to continue like this, but for now, it's Uh kind of the way it is. So... I'm most interested in just how having a baby has changed. I mean, you're already touching on this, but has changed your life and theology and what thoughts you've had post becoming a parent. I don't know about theology. I don't think it's changed my theology in any way. Let me comment there real quick, because this is something when you're preaching regularly and you're always looking for illustrations to like highlight points in your sermons you recognize how often parenting illustrates theological truths. Mm. Um, And so I think if you were like preaching regularly and trying to think about like illustrations from your everyday life, you would be surprised at how often just like having, having a baby can be used that way. The biggest thing that has been like a new revelation, I guess, um, is how much time she takes but it doesn't feel like that much time Hmm. just a simple thing like okay she woke up from her nap so get her like settled down get her fed then burp her then calm her down again until she falls asleep it doesn't feel like a super long time but then you look at the clock and it's like oh well there's my afternoon or more specifically (laughs) a lot of times for me it's the lunch till my class starts um my class is at 3 10 and then it's mm-hmm. like, I was thinking, oh, I have lunch and then an hour and a half or two hours before my class. I can, this will be a good time to read. This will be a good time to catch up on stuff. And then you get pulled into the baby things and then you're like, like one hour is really nothing. So like that's good and bad, right? Like it's bad that, it, that 
your time just whooshes by, but it's good that it doesn't feel like this long agonizing thing. So that's been the biggest new thing, I guess. You know, she's only nine weeks, so she can't crawl or really get around. So, but yeah, I wouldn't say that my grasp of the world or my uh, philosophy or theology or anything has been greatly impacted <laughs> at this point. It kind of reminds me of something that Joel and I were talking about one time when I was visiting down there, but about how these kind of life shifts seem more monumentous when you're looking toward them than when they actually happen in a way Mm -hmm. like when you're growing up like the idea of getting married and having kids both seem like it's just gonna change every aspect of life Mm. and i haven't had kids yet but what i found with marriage is like yes of course it's a shift but it's i don't know it's it's not as life-altering as sometimes it seems like. I would say, like, it doesn't make you feel as different of a person as you would have thought. Right, that's a better way of describing it. Because, like, a lot of times when you're single, or for me it was this way, there was, like, a very different category in my head between people who were single and people who were married. Yeah, that's right. But then, like, once I got married, it felt like that category was much less significant. Yeah. (laughs) And then, (laughs) um, same thing with having kids, it's like, you don't feel as different. It's just like, oh, I'm just the same person, but now I'm married. Or like, oh, I'm just the same person, but now I have a child. Mm-hmm. But probably right. unlike yeah. marriage, um, yeah, exactly. having children is one of those things that the impact just increases over time, mm-hmm. at least for a while. Mm-hmm. I mean, like now it's not like she can wander off on her own or talk really, or I'm not, we're not like taking her somewhere for entertainment or education or anything like that. Right. Yeah. But I think what you said about time is really interesting and uh, I can relate to that for sure. People are like, oh, you've got a little one, so you must be busy, busy. And it's like, I don't feel busy. I just feel like I don't have any time. I feel like I'm less busy than I was before in some ways, but I feel like I have no time to do anything else. So the biggest thing that I've noticed being sacrificed, I guess, in favor of taking care of the baby and stuff um, and stuff, taking care of the baby and that's it. No other stuff (laughs) has been, um, spending time like socially with people like some of her family will come and help out with the baby but we're just not really having people over unless it's Mm -hmm. for a quick chat and to look at the baby or something like that and then we are doing our youth group once a week so we're maintaining that yep but other than that i'd say we don't we haven't really been hanging out or like being sociable really it's kind of like we're busy or we're thankful to have a break and just want to go to bed early so that's been the biggest change for me i don't i don't feel like definitely with someone Mm who is is a single person and maybe less interested in baby interaction and baby talk and stuff we're not really having a whole lot of time with people like that yeah that makes sense Well, Joel, do you have anything you want to touch on or should I go first? Well, summers are really busy for us for youth department because we don't have students in school, obviously. So we have a lot more activities. And then we do like a student internship over the summer where we have students around like most days at the Mm -hmm. office. So things just move really fast. And then we do our youth conference in July. And that's a really big event. So it takes a lot of uh, preparation uh, leading up to it. So that's one of the reasons that... Over the Mm. summer, it's difficult for us to record. Right. Oh, which I got to tell you, speaking of the youth conference, just real quick. um, 
as you both know, we always do Battle of Four Kings at the youth conference, which is a big, really fun youth game that, that my dad invented. We were at youth, our youth group here in Kentucky this Sunday, and the youth pastor was asking for activity ideas for the next planning period. And Riley was talking about, well, we were just down at this youth group in Alabama, and they do big games that take, you know, more than just 15 to 30 minutes and it's really fun. We could possibly do an event where we do like a more in-depth game. So then after the meeting, one of the youth leaders grabbed me. He's like, that's a good idea to do some more in-depth games. So when I was like 14 years old, I played this game at Centenary. Oh, and man. Here, let me just draw it out for you. And uh, he's like, I've never forgotten it. It was so much fun. There must have been like 50 students <laughs> a team and they had flower socks. Oh, my gosh. They used cardboard to make shields. Uh-huh. So I'm just listening to him, and then finally, you know, I'm was like, he a member over there? Like, was he part of there, or did he just show up for the youth week? No, he like got brought there by a friend or something. Oh man, that's awesome! And so I was how like, cool yeah, to find like, out that now he's like working in ministry or something. <laughs> he's volunteering. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, yeah, my dad invented that game. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess you told him he was the youth pastor at the time over there. So it was actually a few years after. Oh. We had moved down to Alabama, and they were yeah. still doing the game. Oh, okay. Um, so as soon as I told him, he was like, how did I do? With Did I remember <laughs> it pretty accurately? <laughs> I, was, I was like, yeah, actually, that's pretty good for 25 yeah, years you know, or 20 whatever. 20 years or something. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that was pretty cool. Well, I've got game suggestions if you need them. That is cool. That's awesome. I wonder, I wonder if he remembers the other games they played during that youth week. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, so we had a great youth week in summer with the youth group. And uh, before the summer, we had to move out of our youth room to the worship center because of kind of running out of space, basically. Mm. Um, so that's been exciting because yeah. there's just been a lot of students around. And starting this uh, semester, like things kind of shift to our like fall mindset uh, toward the end of August. And we've had even more students coming. So that's been exciting because I kind of wasn't sure if it would drop back down. It, when students got into school, which mm-hmm. sometimes has happened, our normal normally our summer numbers are the highest. Yeah. But past couple of weeks, we've had the highest numbers we've ever had. So that's been exciting. Yeah, getting close to two hundred, right? Yeah, we had one ninety last Wednesday students. Yeah, that's wild. I was just at a church planting like strategy meeting at the seminary, and they were talking about average church sizes. The average in America is like between one and two hundred. And that's inflated because of the megachurches. So if you actually look at the median, it's like mm-hmm. 60 to 70. Wow. So the majority of churches are less than 100 people? Mm-hmm. Yes. Huh. That's really shocking. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, so the youth group is now like a... Congregation. Large-ish. I mean, a yeah. decent-sized church. It's pretty wild. Yep. And so we don't know. I mean, obviously, if we're like, I wonder if this is just going to keep climbing. Like our students are next week, we're going to hit 200 and then we're going to hit, you know, 215 or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it'll obviously like cap off eventually. Um, but it's it's been neat. And so we're yeah. having to bring in uh, new adult volunteers. And this uh, mostly through September, we've been doing a series on the Book of Romans. And so that'll finish this upcoming Wednesday. That's a great topic for a lot of new students. Right. That was actually something we planned out early in the summer, I think. Probably in May, actually, we were going to do that coming into the school year. Mm. And so that's worked out really well because of just how Romans is about mm. the gospel. Like, this is what the gospel 
uh, is. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been a four t- four part message where the first sermon was just like this is the gospel, and especially like Romans starts off talking about like the state of sinfulness of humanity and the fact that we're all under God's judgment, and so. We kind of started out there. And then the second part was chapters six through eight, where he talks about like new life and freedom from sin. So similar to our like Wesley podcast a little bit about the new birth yep. is what I talked about and how we're not just justified. We're not just like made right from our sins, but then God gives us a new life, which Paul says specifically in Romans chapter five, um, basically like those are in Christ have been made right with God and given new life. Like it says both of those things back to back. And so I use that verse to say like, hey, there's two things that are happening here. Like we so often just focus on being made right with God, forgiveness of sin, justification. Um, I think it's Romans 5.18 if you've got your Bible there. But then talking about new life and how as Christians, like our life changes, there's transformation that we can really live free from sin. And so that was the second message. You got it there? Yeah, here it is. Then as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one man's act of righteousness led to acquittal and life for all men. Yeah, so acquittal being like justification, mm-hmm. and then life being the new life. Yeah, that's good. That's really cool. So anyway, that's been good. And then this Wednesday, a couple of days ago, we I preached on Romans 9 through 11, which is like the kind of go-to Calvinist passage in the Bible, just Romans 9 and 11, not through 11 as much. Which is that the one about the vessel? Yeah, that talks about like vessels of wrath and vessels of... Uh, Blessing or whatever, but Vessels of Mercy is the second one. Uh-huh. That's at the end of Romans 9. Okay. But basically, like, the question mm-hmm. there is, like, when you're looking at the flow of Romans, the question is, all right, if salvation and new life is available for all people based on faith, like, what's the purpose of the Jews? Does it matter that you're Jewish? Does Like, what does it mean to be part of the people of God? That's really, like, the question that he's asking. Mm. So I didn't really get into the question about Calvinism because I thought that would just be too in the weeds for the students. Sure. So I preached on chapter nine. Paul talks about just being a part of Israel doesn't mean that you're saved and kind of goes through the history that God is working his purposes by choosing or electing Israel as his people, but that didn't mean that they were saved. Um, Then in chapter 10, he talks about how everybody can be saved and anyone can come to Christ based on faith in Jesus. Um, that's where he talks about if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. Right. Then in chapter 11, he then comes back and says, therefore, there's still hope for Israel. And Israel, just like anybody else, can put their faith in Jesus and they can be saved. And there's still hope, even though some of Israel has been cut off from God, they can still be grafted back in if they believe. Um, and so that's kind of like his flow is, is that. And so my message for the students was basically like the, that concept of hope for people who are far from God whether that's you or whether that is somebody who you know that just feels like they have, they're like so lost and they're so far from God. I mean, you look at the people of Israel throughout the Old Testament and like the the extent that God went through to show himself to them and yet they still have rejected God. And yet Paul is still saying there's hope. Yeah. So just bringing that into this like concept of if you feel far from God, like you've gone too far or you've done too much, like you haven't done as much as the nation of Israel. That's good. And like you can, there's still hope for you and for the people around you who seem like they're just hardened or like completely just antagonistic toward Christianity or whatever, having that sense of hope and like praying for people who are lost. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's where this message was on. That's Um, great. Yeah. So it's been good. And then, um, my assistant youth pastor, Andrew is going to be finishing it up with the last 
five chapters, I guess, 12 through 16. And that's all about like, how do we therefore live? So he starts off because of all this, how are we to live? Nice. And it's a lot about unity and about like loving each other and living holy lives for God. Cool. That sounds great. That was a long time on that, but there's some biblical stuff. When I was talking through my like uh, study of the book of Romans with Andrew, I was kind of going over the way that I see the the uh, book broken down and some of the structural relationships there. And he was like, what class is all this from again that you yeah. learned how to do all this? And I was like, this is inductive Bible study. <laughs> and uh, so he was like, that's really good. Yeah, it's really helpful. So I use that in like a little bit of an abbreviated form anytime I'm doing a uh, study on a book of the Bible. Mm. In addition to that, um, I'm on the board for Wired oh, yeah. now, which is uh, like a citywide summer mission camp for youth uh, where lots of different churches come together to worship and serve the community. And so I've been getting with the different youth pastors who have not previously been involved in Wired and trying to um, just talk to them about what we're doing and express the desire for them to be involved. That sounds neat. Yeah, it's been good. Uh, Wired has traditionally been like heavily Baptist and our church is not Baptist. We were the first like non-Baptist church involved. And so I've kind of tried to be a liaison to other denominations. Nice. (laughs) So I got with the youth pastor from uh, First Presbyterian, the youth pastor from First Assembly, the youth pastor from the Church of Christ, and then from an independent church as well. Mm. So that's been that's been a lot of fun. Cool. Whose job is it to find service projects? Because that must be a big job. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thankfully, Wired's been going on long enough that a lot of it's repeat. So it's not like the same sort of work every year for that. But that's part of the the job of the board, partially, is to find reach out and find those people. Then um, when we get closer to Wired, we hire some like interns for a couple months to like kind of hammer out all those details. So primarily through nonprofits. So we're like reaching out to all the nonprofits around and asking uh, how we can partner with them to help. Then um, as far as like wheelchair ramps and construction and stuff, that's just going to be if specific churches are aware of needs probably. And then sometimes we'll reach out to like schools. Those are the main probably go-tos are like nonprofits and schools. Yeah. Very cool. And then as far as kids, we have two boys. The older one will be four in October and the younger one turned one in August. So they're a lot of fun. Um, The older one, Malachi, Olivia is teaching to read and uh, he's doing really well. And then baby Andrew's just into everything. He's, he's walked early. So he's been just running around grabbing stuff. Always wants to get into things. (laughs) That's when you have to be with like constantly attentive to everything they're doing. I feel like at our place, we have to have some kind of a playpen or cage or something because <laughs> it's not, we have too many unsafe things that are within reach. Yeah. If we're, if we're downstairs, we can't just like relax and let him go. But if we're upstairs, we can, we can just close the door to the bathroom. And then basically as long as the gates closed toward the stairs, then he can go into his room, into our room or into Malachi's room and just like everything's safe mm-hmm. for the most part. Yeah, well, I remember that one day when I was over there, like we were talking just for, I don't know, five minutes or something. And then like he was all in the dirt of the plant. So you're like getting the vacuum cleaner out to clean that. And then while you're doing that, I think Malachi knocked over one of the other plants behind the couch <laughs> and it spilled everywhere. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I thought of two more things I should probably share if this is the time for it. It is. Do you want to talk about the dirt? Okay, so uh, mom and dad came and visited. 
to see the baby. So that was cool. It's a very yeah. short trip, but that was Neat. fun to have somebody from my overseas life coming over here, seeing our situation. Yeah, that's cool. And then last weekend, uh, Franklin Graham was here. Oh, um, wow. Another friend from the States. Yeah. Yeah, yeah another, uh, another yeah. one of my old pals. Uh, <laughs> former employer. And uh, more your employer than my... Well, I guess... I was employed by them longer, but uh, at a, at greater distance. Right, interned right, yeah. more in more proximity. <laughs> yeah, Daniel worked for Samaritans First in Japan. I did an internship at their headquarters. Yeah, and then I worked for BGEA for a couple months too. Right. Um, anyway, so uh, to me, it was just kind of another one, but it was a pretty big deal to the Christians here, and I think. It was interesting to question, like, how effective is this as an evangelistic outreach versus a encouragement for local mm-hmm. believers? Mm-hmm. Because the local Christians, it was definitely very exciting for the Christians here to be like, there's this huge event and all mm-hmm. these Christians are joining, to, like all these churches are partnering together and we're all here and look, we're not just like alone in this country, mm-hmm. kind of. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Yeah. So that was really exciting. Um, but then there was part of us, of me, I guess, who was just wondering, like, you know, how heavily populated are these events with Christians? And uh, on the surface, it's supposed to be, you know, it always has an altar call. It's supposed to be an outreach. The sermon is very much, here's why you should repent from your sins. So at first, I was just kind of thinking, oh, this is not good. There's too many Christians here. And especially in our case, it, it maxed out. So the first day, they had to pretty much turn people away wow. uh, because their overflow filled. I mean, you know, the overflow was outside, so anyone could have been hanging around. But actually, they had to close the parking lot um, so people couldn't get in anymore. Wow. So mm-hmm. the second day, it was just a weekend, Saturday, Sunday. So the second day, it wasn't the overflow didn't fill, and it seemed like they were able to handle the people more and we went early and volunteered and did some help so anyway definitely there were people who were not already saved Mm -hmm. at that event but it's just a curious topic of when that's your focus you're kind of like ah this is all this work and effort and it's mostly just christians what a waste of time but then Mm kind of hearing more from my in-laws their perspective um you know like it's only because it's this guy who's behind the Operation Christmas Child and it's the famous person that the government's not giving them trouble about this. If all of our churches just try to put on an b- event of this size, the government would start trying to give us issues. Wow. Samaritan's Purse has a really good reputation in Mongolia because a lot of people have received those shoeboxes. Mm. Um, wow, that's really cool. It is cool. And I think it was pretty hilarious to me. <laughs> I don't know if you want to include this or not, but um, so there's this band that plays after the altar call. Um, and the lead guy, you know, the, so they're just kind of like a, you know, fun pep everybody up sort of like here's concert time after the prayer time is over. Um and at one point he starts talking into the mic and he's like, we have just fallen in love with your country. The people are just so great. Everyone's been hospitable. I got to ride a two-humped camel. 
And I was kind of rolling my eyes because that's like the number one like tourist thing you're supposed to do is ride. <laughs> that's their big thing is like we have two humped camels. You know, other countries don't have that. Um, so you can ride the camel. And like it is cool, but it's just hilarious because it's like that's, that's what he did. That's what you do. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing that every tourist is that the Mongolians <laughs> want every tourist to do. And then the other thing is what my what our dad did when he was here, which is and I too, which is hold the eagle. Right. Mm, yeah so the guy on stage he says like i got to ride a camel a two-humped camel and so then i like was sitting next to yeji and i was like i got to hold an eagle and then like seriously right then he goes i got to hold a golden (laughs) eagle (laughs) (laughs) i was like yeah that's what you do those are the things (laughs) it's like those two things and then you maybe ride a horse if you want to do that and then see the giant jenga statue and now you've done like all the things that are like <laughs> known to do maybe sleep in a gear that'd be another thing I, <laughs> that's funny well i'm sure that the people appreciated him doing the things you're supposed to do yeah yeah they liked it and they're very they're very encouraged or happy to hear these foreigners say how they love Mongolian stuff right yes Well, I just want to touch on two things very briefly. So like we mentioned, I was doing my mentored ministry classes this summer, two of those, which basically what that is, is they just want every student to be getting practical ministry experience. It's three one credit classes for the first two. They have you do it in a local church under a a pastor. And then the last one is supposed to be more of an outside of the church or cross-cultural environment. Riley and I got to spend about six weeks down in Dothan this summer working at my dad's church, where Joel is youth pastor as well, and got to hang out with the youth a lot and uh, do some ministry stuff down there, which was great. And just wanted to share like a few takeaways I had from that time. One of the things I was looking into is the question of, okay, what makes Harvest Church down there an effective spirit-filled church? And what are some of the aspects that go into their DNA? So a a few things that jumped to mind from my time down there and talking to people. Um, The first one that I would say is kind of a key to what makes Harvest effective is that the church leadership, elders and staff are very much in a posture of stewardship and both believe and live that God is the owner of the church. So I just feel like that's super critical for having an effective church uh, to be continually in that posture and continually seeking God's direction and not just getting um, not just getting like set in your ways of what you've always done and how we've always ran things, but really actively listening for God's direction and where he would like to take the church. So that really jumped out to me. Uh, kind of along with that, just a dependence on God for vision and then ability of the lead pastor to communicate that vision and mission to the people. And so this is something I really saw in the membership class down there, that it was very vision and mission driven, and it was very clearly communicated. This is what the church is for. This is what we're doing. And as if you're called to join, this is the mission that you're going to be a part of. Whereas some churches do a lot of good things, but it's kind of just not super directed. It's just a bunch of good ministries all over the place. Yeah, shotgun approach. Uh Then I would say also there's a real emphasis on a personal experience with God, having a personal experience with God. And 
the main way they do these is by emphasizing the two big conferences every year where there's a lot of expectancy going into it for God to move. There's a lot of prayer, bring in a speaker. And then along with a few other things, there's a big emphasis on people being able to experience God. And I think we talked about this um, when we were talking through Wesley as well, just that importance of not only having the head knowledge, but truly experiencing a relationship with God. And so I think that pairs well then with having a strategy for discipleship. So they have like a five-phase discipleship curriculum that they encourage all the members to do. And one thing that I found very interesting from when I, I was living in Dothan to now is before people go through discipleship, they've implemented a study called Freedom that focuses on breaking free from past bondage. And what they found is like people that were having trouble being consistent in a discipleship group with spiritual disciplines, with uh, community just getting plugged in, if they start with breaking free from the past and getting over some of that past bondage, then what they found is after that, they're able to have more consistency and victory and discipleship and growing closer to God. Um, so I think that's a really huge takeaway just for our culture and where we are as a society, where as we get further and further from being a Christian culture and more of a post-Christian culture, there's going to be more brokenness and bondage just from how people grew up and the things they were exposed to in the home settings they were in. And so we need to be in intentional as ministers to address that um, when we are discipling and developing Christians. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and a lot of that also is like the deliverance component, um, like spiritual deliverance, mm. where we don't talk about it that way mm. because like it can wake people out. Um, that's why we talk about like freedom from the past and like mm. stuff. But a lot of the freedom from the past is authority that you've given over to demonic like spirits in your life. And wow. when you have demonic holds in your life, it really just like blocks you from being able to receive what God wants for you. Mm. And so, uh, so a lot of freedom is that specifically it's like rebuking the spirits mm. associated with these different things, but it's in a very like non-threatening mm. way. And so it's, it's, that's one of the reasons it's effective. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. The last thing takeaway that I had as far as church stuff down there is just an expectation in the culture and the congregation of what it means to follow Jesus. So there's a real um, expectation that as a Christian, you live differently. And so you're not just going to stay the way you are. You're going to continue to grow and change and pursue holiness. So those, there's plenty more, but those were my main uh, takeaways I wanted to share from the time down in Dothan at Harvest Church. So then after we finished up there, we had a week back here in Kentucky, and then we headed off to Scotland for Mentored Ministry 3 to do our cross-cultural ministry setting. And it was a great trip. We got to spend time uh, just touring Scotland and England, but... The most exciting part is we're with a group that does street evangelism there. And I just felt like they did it very effectively. Um, I was really encouraged by it and felt like I learned a lot from it. But I wanted to share 10 tips I learned, 10 tips for street evangelism. I feel like these are helpful and uh, applicable to whatever your context is, just getting out and having good evangelistic conversations with people. 
So number one is it takes time to build a relationship. Don't fake it. So for us, this played out and like we actually were taking time to get to know these people and talk to them. We weren't just trying to like share the steps of the gospel as fast as possible. Like we actually wanted to hear where people were coming from. And then in line with that, number two, don't treat people as projects, but with dignity, people made in the image of God. Similar there. Number three, be realistic and honest when speaking about faith. As after all, Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble. So we didn't want to like try to get out there and just say your life's going to be perfect if you become a Christian. Uh, number four, listen well. I already touched on that. Number five, share Christ by telling stories and testimony. So I think this is good, especially if you're someone that feels like you have a hard time with theology or with like getting a grasp on the steps of the gospel. Like you can be effective in evangelism just by sharing how God has transformed your life. And that can come up just in a normal conversation. So I think that that can be helpful and, and take some of the pressure off of like, it can be daunting when you think about evangelism and, and think you have to have all the steps just right. Number six, have a gospel track ready to give. So we were giving people the gospel of John and uh, that was really cool because a lot of people were willing to take those. And I think that's just a seed that's planted that you never know how um, the Holy Spirit is going to work through that and where that's going to end up and if they happen to read it. And I like that we were just giving out the Bible. Like it wasn't some kind of cheesy track. It was scripture. And uh, we all know and believe that God works through scripture. So one takeaway that I have is I'm, I'm going to try to be more intentional when I go out in public to carry around just a small gospel of John and just pray that God would open doors when I'm out at Walmart or wherever. As you slide it behind the rice for whoever may find it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's got, it looks like a big hundred dollar bill. That'll really get them. <laughs> no, not going to do that. The one that I remember like that said, disappointed you won't be when you have eternal life or something uh, like that. <laughs> yes, I'm disappointed. <laughs> But, you know, I've heard a lot of people, um, like, that's kind of the go-to punching bag for Christians talking about tracks. Mm -hmm. Like, I've heard that that specific track mentioned on a different podcast before, like a big one with really many listeners. I just wonder, like, who invented that? Like, it, in a way, it's clever, but also I wonder if they know that, like, everyone hates it and, like, talks <laughs> about it. And I feel kind of sorry for him. You know, he, yeah. I don't know, I feel sorry for that person a little bit. Good intentions. Just right. yeah, needed needed a, a little bit more like focus testing. Yes. So for me it's almost more for just the reminder to be intentional about looking for opportunities to engage people with the gospel or to have conversations with people. So I'm even thinking that just by having something that I grab with my wallet and keys when I go out, that's a small gospel of John, it's just gonna be a reminder to me to pray for God to open doors when I'm out in public. That's good. I think uh, to kind of get what you're saying about the value of just the literature being just scripture, mm -hmm. I don't know if this is a development in our culture that used to be different or what, but I definitely, I have had someone go through a sort of setup 
that he wanted to get into a sort of sharing his faith presentation, but he had to set it up like with a magic trick and mm. no signs that it was going to be a religious conversation. It was just like, do I, I, I can show you something cool. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And that felt like, even though I believe more or less what he was trying to say, it definitely felt like, uh, okay, this was like it's a, a bait and switch. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if that was effective at some point or if it's actually never been effective, but people are just so nervous to talk about their faith that they think that's the only way they feel like they can do it. But I feel like nine out of 10 people, probably more, probably 10 out of 10 people would rather you just say something open about like, Oh, I believe this. Do you want to hear about it? Or I'd like to, Mm -hmm. can I just tell you a little bit about why? And then we'll both carry on. Yeah. Just be honest and natural have like normal conversations with people. That's why I really liked the way we were doing it, where we were starting more with, hey, do you believe in God or what do you believe? It kind of puts the ball in their court. They can answer that to the extent they want to, or if they're just not interested at all, they'll just shut it down quick. You know, like it's pretty easy to tell, does this person actually want to talk about faith? Are they interested at all in God and religion or not? So yeah, I, I liked that because we're so we were giving out hot drinks, free coffee or tea. And so if you ask, hey, we're from churches, like, what do you believe? Do you believe in God? Really soon you could tell like whether you need to keep talking to them or whether you need to say like, oh, well, I hope you enjoy the drink and have a great day, you know, <laughs> like, and you give them the opportunity that way. That's really good. Rather than it being like a spiel. Right, exactly. But what was great and encouraging to me is how many people were genuinely open and even, I think, um, glad to have someone to talk to Mm -hmm. about what they believe spiritually. You know, everybody likes to talk about themselves. So (laughs) that's why we're doing this episode. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Maybe we should have listeners call in sometime. Tell us about themselves. They can start their own podcast. Okay, uh, I'll keep going through these. Um, So number seven is know and share scripture at every opportunity. Number eight, love people no matter what they believe. They're made in the image of God. So we came across people of all different religions, you know, and so I think literally just them having like a good positive interaction with a Christian mm-hmm. could was a valuable thing for them, even if they were like strongly in Islam or atheism or whatever it was. Number nine, don't try to win an argument and lose the person. And then number 10, offer to pray for them and connect them to a local church if the conversation goes that way. Good. So those are 10 tips that I thought were good. And uh, just getting out there and doing it, I I learned a lot. It was great. One of the main takeaways I have is that evangelism doesn't have to be an awkward, big, uncomfortable thing. It can just be having normal conversations with people, but being intentional to ask them about eternal things that actually matter and not just having small talk all the time with everybody you encounter. Everybody listening, you guys have a good rest of your day, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Talk to you later. I'm officially stopping my recording. (laughs) Okay, I will too.